The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Business is a competition. There are winners and losers. There's always someone trying to take your business away. And in business, just like sports, there are players, there are coaches, and there is a scoreboard. Welcome to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Whether you're a manager, executive, business owner, salesperson, or entrepreneur, The Business Locker Room is a show that will create content and conversations that will help you improve your business. Now, let's join your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, great to have you along. It is the Business Locker Room, and I am your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, you can find us online, bizlockerroom.com. Encourage you to check out the website and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Love to have you on board on a regular basis. I tell you what, the Business Locker Room is a place you want to be. If it's sales, marketing, social media, business strategy, this is absolutely the place for you, the Business Locker Room. It's the show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business performance today. No need to wait. It's not theory. It is the fusion of the collective wisdom and real-world business experience. We'll get a lot of that today from our guest. Excited about the show today as we talk about the Invisible Tribe with Josh Allen Dykstra. He'll be along right after the first break. and We'll bring him in to talk about his brand-new book, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, Designing an Organization That Doesn't Suck. Well, that should be an interesting conversation. You know, most, uh, most entrepreneurs get started in business and they've, uh, by sheer willpower, just sort of drag a company into success. They're not really thinking a lot about the organization, the culture, the infrastructure of what they do. They're thinking about finding customers. A lot of the things that we talk about on this show, business strategy and marketing and social media and all that, and what gets left behind um, is the organization, the culture. We're going to talk about that today with uh, Josh Allen Dykstra. I am excited to do that. Great to have him on board as uh, we talk about all those uh, those things associated with business culture. Many thanks to 4D Sales. They are our sponsor, and uh, they make the X's and O's segment of the locker room happen in the latter part of the show. And uh, shortly, we'll, uh, we'll bring on Miles Austin. In fact, uh, we're going to do something a little bit different today. Going to bring Miles right into the show early and then bring him back later. But, Miles, last week we were talking about Canva and uh, just got a lot of great response about that particular software package, uh, which is free. Once again, there's a little bit of uh, cost associated with it. If you use some of their images, boy, it's negligible, though. But you and I both use it, and we use it to, to great effect. So what kind, of, what kind of feedback did you get from talking about Canva? Well, it's really funny. One of the things that the first thing that came is I had several people that have tried to get into and use Canva uh, maybe three, four, five months ago. And what they found was it was an invitation-only 
site at that point because they weren't quite far enough along in their launch. But uh, the thing we'd encourage everyone to do is just go visit Canva.com and you'll get in and you'll get access to the product. So that was one thing that, but a lot of people are using it. Um, I have um, many clients that have been using it and have now started having it spread throughout their organizations because it saves time to be able to reuse um, good, effective graphics over and over. You know, we talked about Haiku Deck a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe. And back-to-back, that made two very strong, powerful packages to put together, Haiku Deck and Canva, both doing similar things, but it it really prevents you from creating a lot of the the very common errors that people make in creating pres- presentations. Uh, I, and I know you see it all the time like I do, Miles, but I noticed even for myself, a guy who kind of, I think, knows what he's doing in terms of presentations, both of those products have really helped me immensely. So I, there, there's a lot of upside even for the seasoned professional. 100%. And I think it's an example, Kelly, that a lot of these tools that we've talked about, um, you just have to be willing to go explore it with an open mind. You're going to find some that you like that really work for you, and there's some that won't. Canva is something that every individual, no matter what occupation, no matter what level you are within your career or your company, you're going to be able to find uses for it. The other side of that too, Miles, is, is it's, not, it's just not a presentation uh, tool or not just a presentation tool. This is actually a tool that people use in a lot of venues. We're talking about Twitter and Facebook and all of these various places where you need graphic images and you really need to present yourself in certain ways, even up to and including, of course, a, a standard presentation deck. But there's just a lot of application here. There is, and if you think about it, we're, we live in a visual world, Kelly. It used to be most business was done off of a typewritten letter and maybe a phone call and maybe as we grew, maybe into some email. But it, we live in a visual world, and if you're not leveraging the power of video and graphics, you're simply not going to maximize your opportunity. That's simple. I mean, in terms of the way we used to do it, 25 years ago is just way out of bounds. I mean, there's nothing going on there anymore, seemingly, because like you said, if, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, what I'm doing works and really nothing could be further from the truth in terms of comparing the two. But now I'm finding that even what I was doing two years ago isn't applicable. If I'm not moving into the graphic world, the video world, I'm really not making uh, nearly the impact that I can. And, And that even extends to basic things like Twitter when you're posting a tweet or something like that, the most effective tweets that are getting looked at and retweeted uh, have those kinds of powerful images with them. And uh, it, it, it's far more important than even than I would have thought before you introduced the tools to me. Kelly, I'll tell you a funny story real quick because I know we got a great guest to get to. But um, I started writing a book two years ago, um, and it was called New Tools, Old Rules. Um, and I believed at the time very strongly that there's all these new tools, but the old rules of business still applied. I bought the domain and all of that, right? Well, guess what? As I'm writing the book and I'm working through and gathering all this data, well, guess what? I've changed my opinion, very frankly, and it's now <laughs> called New Tools, New Rules, and I had to go buy the new domains. But the bottom line is is that it has changed. It's no longer just all these cool, uh, what I call shiny objects or tools. Um, the rules of business have also changed. And I, can't, I have conversations every week with people that have been very successful but are stuck. They're stagnant. They're not moving past where they've been in the past. And I find most of the time, you probably have seen this in your practice, it's because they're holding on to the old glory days, as Bruce Springsteen sung about, and they're not opening up their mind to say, but it has changed. Acknowledge it, and let's go find a new way to do the things that we know we need to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I see tremendous application for people who are out there in a role that I used to fill in early in my career, just an individual sales guy working for a company. You know, it's a medium-sized company. They don't have all types of tools and support and everything. And yet with everything that's available now, I have the opportunity to differentiate myself, even as an individual, consistent with the brand of the company that I represent. But but there's so much power in the tools that, that you're bringing to this and the guests that we bring on, the com- the conversations that we have. It's really the magic of this show. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to having you back on the back end. We're going to talk about mind mapping today, and I am excited about that. I'm a very visual guy, so we'll get into a lengthy discussion about mind mapping uh, in the X's and O's segment. Thanks for being on right up front. You bet. All right, very good. Hey, we're going to take our first time out. We're going to do it ahead of schedule before the break because I want to get on with uh, Josh Allen Dykstra, and, and I want to introduce him to you. Josh is a guy that uh, that I became familiar with in looking at some things online and reading some material that he had out there, and I contacted him uh, some time ago to be on as a guest, and we got our wires crossed a little bit, but uh, great, great to have him on board. We're going to talk about co- company culture, the role it plays in the success or failure of a company, and we're going to look very closely at how, what it takes to create an organization that doesn't suck. And in, in case you don't think that's important, I think Josh will reiterate this. What we know is that culture impacts bottom line performance of every company dramatically. You're going to want to stick around. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. But we'll take our first time out when we come back. We'll continue that conversation. We'll get to our X's and O's segment later in the show. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. I'm Kelly Riggs. You can follow me on Twitter at Kelly Riggs. And of course, always welcome to send me an email. Kelly at bizlockerroom.com. Visit bizlockerroom.com for updates on shows, upcoming guests, and of course, to read the blog posts associated with it as well. Excited to welcome in our guest, Josh Allen Dykstra. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He is 
a co-founder of Strengths Doctors. They are a consulting firm that works with leaders and entrepreneurs to design energizing workplaces. He's also the co-founder of Work Revolution, which is a movement. And we'll talk to him about what that movement is all about, but it advocates life-giving work environments. And I'll give Josh a hard time. Sounds entirely West Coast to me at this time, but I know it's moving this direction, Josh. You serve as an advisor to a lot of select uh, technology startups. You've worked with some very big organizations like Apple, Sony, Starbucks, and those kinds of things. Great to have you on board. Looking forward to talking culture with you. Yeah, same here, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's start off with uh, your, your new book. I know it's doing well, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, Designing an Organization that Doesn't Suck. Tell me how you got to that title. Yeah, yeah. You know, people love to kind of uh, enjoy that the subtitle, the designing an organization that doesn't suck part. It's, it's definitely fun to say. I think that's uh, that's that's true and it's good and it, it gets people's attention. But really, when when you get into it and, and you uh, get into the book, you'll see I, I mean this very literally. This this whole suck thing. I mean that our organizations, as they are designed right now, as they're constructed right now, they're built to actually be life sucking places. They kind of tend to suck the meaning from people's lives. They kind of tend to suck the resources from the planet. They kind of tend to do a whole lot of sucking and not a lot of giving. And uh, I don't think business uh, should be that way. And in fact, the research is, is becoming pretty clear that business actually works better if it doesn't work that way. Yeah, no question about it. Engaged employees, mm-hmm. is a, as you use the term and, and I use the term, engaged employees, uh, there's a very clear correlation, a direct correlation with, with the bottom line metrics that people really care about. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah, Gallup estimates somewhere between $450 billion to $550 billion in, in lost money per year just based on disengagement. So it's pretty, pretty remarkable. It's a big deal, you know, and at the same time, I, I will mention to the audience before they, you know, they start saying, ah, I don't know if this is for me. You know, you, you're not a guy that's against making a profit. In fact, you're very much in favor of it, but you're not, suggest, you, what you would suggest is that making a profit and making a great organization don't have to be mutually exclusive. No, I don't think they do. And I, I think many times, though, we get the order confused. We, we tend to think that making money for the, for the sake of making money is actually the best way to, to run a business. But it, it turns out there's a whole lot of evidence that runs contrary to that. It turns out that when you, when you have a business that actually exists for some kind of larger purpose or some kind of noble cause, that they're trying to actually do something good for the world or for, for society or for their customers, uh, those businesses are the ones that actually perform better in the marketplace over time. Yeah, so, no question. Yeah. Well, I, I would reiterate that as well. I have reflected quite often and actually shared a study that came out of Cornell, and I want to say it was 2012, Josh, mm. uh, that, that talked about you know the kinds of people that we look for when we're trying to turn around an organization is that harsh, hard-driving turnaround specialist. Their primary research indicated that's absolutely the worst kind of person to get, mm. that, it, that it is the, the person who has those interpersonal skills that can connect yeah. with people that actually drive financial performance. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a, a fantastic study. I'd love to learn more about that. But yeah, I think that's exactly true in, in terms of managers as well. So when you look at what makes up good leaders and good managers, you find that that same kind of principle applies. That it's, it's so much about this, uh, and, and I know this is kind of a scary word, <laughs> word for many businessy types, but it's, it's really an emotional thing. And uh, we, we think we have this illusion that business is all about rationality and making logical decisions 
But again, the, the research stands contrary to that. The more we lear- learn about behavioral economics and the way that people actually make decisions, man, we are, we are emotional beings, and business is no, no exception to that. Yes, absolutely. And I, let me ask you, where do you think that tide started to turn? My sense is maybe uh, Daniel Goldman's work on EQ had some impact on those kinds of things, but you're, you're, you're much more in touch with a lot of the research. Where, where did you see the tide begin to perhaps sort of swing this way towards an idea that the emotional side of who we are plays a big role in performance? That's a really good question, Kelly. I think, I think it's been going on for a lot of decades, truthfully. And I think it's just now starting to kind of hit a little bit more of the mainstream conversation, which is great. But, I mean, you can go all the way back, I mean, just many, many decades to even the Theory X, Theory Y conversation that was happening a mm-hmm. long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of saying a similar or pre- presenting a similar idea. And so I, I think it's been happening a long time. I think we're just kind of, we're at the point now, and this is the argument I make in the book, we're at the point now where the world is ready to hear it. So um, you can you can... Be, be screaming a message as loud as you like, but if the, if the person who's listening isn't ready to hear your message, it's not going to really land. Oh, and no so question. I, and so, I, yeah, I think that's what's going on is, is I think the larger society is now just kind of in a place of, of you call it human, human evolution or just a, a, a new awareness of, of mindset or whatever you want to call it. But I think the listeners are finally ready to hear Josh Allen Dykstra is our guest, and you can find him on Twitter at Josh Allen, and it's spelled A-L-L-A-N, and then his website as well, joshallen.com. Make sure you find him online and, and read the material, and I highly recommend the book. You know, you build the case uh, for that conversation that you're talking about, uh, new ideas that are supplanting a lot of those 18th century mm. models for managing people. But mm-hmm. let's get into some of the practical side. Uh, Josh, oh, w- what does a person who, who has a, a, a company with 50, 100 people and, and, and they're starting to struggle with the whole concept of the organization and developing the platform for their company, they've moved out of that early entrepreneurial stage. Yeah. W- what are they to do? Yeah, well, I think, I think one of the most important things you can do first is just to recognize that, that culture and uh, the, the way that we kind of organize our culture, it's, it's, it can either be an afterthought, it's going to be something that, that, that will happen whether you want it to or not. Your company will have a culture and it's all built on these kind of tiny micro decisions of the way we do things. And so your company is going to have a culture whether you like it or not, you may as well architect it, you may as well design it, you may as well be proactive and conscious about the, the type of culture that you want to build because the reality is that the culture can actually be a driver of your business results or it can be the very thing that undoes you down the road. And so what the first thing I think that, that business owners ought to do is, is start to recognize that they've got a lot more control over culture than they might think. It doesn't have to just kind of happen. They can architect it, much like a, a, a landscape designer would design a backyard. You can, you can design a culture if, you're, if you are deliberate about it. And if you do it this way, it can actually be an incredibly powerful driver for your business. You think of a place like Zappos, for example. What makes Zappos so great? Well, it turns out it's, it's pretty intangible. It's this kind of fanatical, almost, uh, obsession with customers. Just, they're, they're crazy about serving the customer. That's a very intangible thing, but I mean, Zappos is obviously a very successful organization. And so uh, what we're finding, I think, more and more is that these kinds of intangibles that, that make up your culture, those are the things that actually 
provide the competitive advantage for you. All of the other stuff is kind of getting commoditized, you know, in terms of operations and even the, the cool app that you were talking about, uh, the Canva app. I, mm-hmm. I just looked that up. I hadn't heard of, it, heard of it before. It looks fantastic. But stuff like that, that that's further commoditizing the competitive edge of visuals, right? right. So, <laughs> so when that happens, what do you have left in your business? Well, you've got your people and how unique how how they can uniquely serve the needs of your customers. And there's, you know, a million ways to do that. And so I would say that's the first thing to think about. Yeah, you know, and and when you begin to think about being intentional about culture, you can get people nodding in the right direction. They they say, you know what, I I get that. That's a great idea. Now, now what? <laughs> you know, yeah. There's sort of that disconnect like, well, you know, Zappos, yeah, what a great illustration, Josh. Mm-hmm. I mean, I they went from zero to a billion dollars in sales in 10 years, and they did mm-hmm. it selling shoes, for crying out loud, <laughs> online, you know. Who yeah. does that? I mean, yeah. they were just lucky. They were in the right place at the right time. Josh, give us some insight. How did they build that culture intentionally? How did they get there? Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's a really great great question, and I, I think yeah. So there's a, there's another dot I think that should be connected here, which is that so in in order to get there, <clears throat> one of the most important things that that seems overly simple and so people miss it is that you actually need someone in your organization who's thinking about culture. So when what I mean by this is that so you've got someone in charge of your finances in your organization, right? You've got a CFO or some mm-hmm. somebody a controller, someone who's, who's paying attention to money. And if you didn't have someone paying attention to money, do you think that would work out very well for you? Yeah, um, typically not. <laughs> probably not. If no one's paying attention to the, if no one's sending out invoices, it makes it pretty hard to get paid. Culture is no different. If no one is paying attention to culture, it will go the path of least resistance and you will not be very happy with the result. It's no different than anything else in our business. So the first thing we need to do is actually have, have someone who will step up and start paying attention to these things, whether it's a p- employee development efforts or whether it's some kind you know, Zappos does all sorts of crazy, crazy things when it comes to uh, just making sure their employees are happy. So they've got on, on-site concierge things. I mean, people go pick up their dry cleaning for them. Like it's, it's just incredible the amount of stuff. But it's all based out of this fact that somebody, and in Zappos' case, lots of somebodies, are, are really paying attention to what does it mean to have a, a great place for people to work. And if nobody's paying attention to that, it's just like having nobody, nobody sending out invoices. You're, you're not going to be pleased with those results. Yeah, that's very interesting. But isn't that supposed to be HR? I mean, isn't that an HR function? <clears throat> Oh man, I, I wish it were. I think <laughs> I, th- I think I think anymore. And I know I know lots of really wonderful HR folks, but but for for a lot of reasons, it's not it's not really under the um, it's not doesn't seem to be in the jurisdiction of of most HR functions inside most organizations that I've seen. Now that's that's obviously not true in all places, sure. but in many cases, what HR ends up doing is is uh, operating primarily defensively. They're there to kind of be the legal stopgap. They're the they're the def- they're the defense uh, against the uh, the employees. They're they're there to protect the company from its employees right. uh, who who make bad decisions. And and when you're in that kind of defensive reactive position, which sadly many HR people are, and they may not like that, but many of them kind of get relegated to that responsibility. When you're in that kind of position, they that's not, it's very difficult to be doing the opposite, to be looking proactively 
at your culture and trying to say, how can I serve these employees and make a great place to work? That's pretty hard to do when at the same time you're being asked to defend the company from them. Yeah, I, I, you're 100% right. And I, my, my, my suspicion is, is that most of those, if not all of those HR people would very much like to play a proactive role. But I as think you, so. As you mentioned, they get relegated to sort of a defensive posture inside the organizations. Well, that leaves us in a very kind of um, tenuous position because we don't have an HR person to do that. And, uh, you know, we just we're not exactly swimming in revenue to hire new people, Josh. Yeah. So uh, what are you what are you suggesting? We, we go out and hire somebody who does nothing but uh, lead us in camp songs or, you know, <laughs> how, how does this work? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, I think first of all, we, we need to start looking at, so, so when you think about something like HR in the, in the way that it's currently structured right now, it's, it's a pure cost center. It does nothing really but cost your, your company money, um, and, unless somehow they, they end up kind of <laughs> getting, getting a lawsuit taken care of or, you know, something like yeah, that, sure. but it's, it's primarily defensive in its, in its stance. And so I think what we can do is what we what we ought to do is start to reimagine this kind of human, like put the human back in human resources, right. and start to think about how how could we instead of seeing this as a call center, see or as a, as a cost center, be something that actually is a business driver. And when you shift your focus towards culture and engagement and, and these kinds of ideas, that's when you actually start to see, like we were talking about before, in employee engagement. This is not. This is not, you know, singing campfire stuff. This is stuff that has a hard impact on your bottom line. Absolutely. I mean, huge, huge. Like, this is, this is as hard as it gets. I mean, this is, and it's actually predictive. You know, most of the things that we look at in terms of finances, they just tell us what's happened. Uh, they, we look at our, our balance sheet and we say, okay, that's what happened last month or last year. Engagement is predictive. It can say if we focus on these, these drivers, it will actually produce these great results in the future. We know we're going to have more productivity. We know we're going to have more profitability. We know we're going to have less turnover. We're no, we're, you know, the, the research is very clear on that. Yeah, and no so question. I think to answer your question more directly, though, it's it, when you're starting out, do you need to hire a specific person? I think that depends on where you are in the stage of your business. Right. Uh, would it be worth your money? Yeah, probably, truthfully. Um, but could, it, could this potentially also, this, this kind of culture function, be distributed across a task force? Yeah, I think it could. You could create and find people who are naturally passionate, naturally energized about these topics. And I promise you there are some in your organization, particularly if you've got a 50 to 100 person company. Mm -hmm. You just find them and, and uh, empower them, help them uh, kind of take, take the ball and run with it uh, down that road. And I think you'll see huge returns based on that. Our guest today is Josh Allen Dykstra. Follow him on Twitter at Josh Allen, A-L-L-A-N. We're going to take our second time out. We're going to come back on the other side. We're going to talk more about creating an organization that does not suck. And, of course, as Josh mentioned, that can be from a lot of perspectives. But uh, we want to look at the role that leadership plays in there, how we begin to create some synergy in driving an organization forward to becoming both productive and high-performance organization and being a great place to work at the same time. Those things are not mutually exclusive. Stay with us. We're going to come back on the other side. We'll continue our conversation with Josh Allen. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 
Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Locker Room, the show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business today. No need to wait. The conversations we have on this show, you're going to get some ideas. You're going to take them back and start making some changes with some things that make sense for your business. And that's what we're doing today with our guest, Josh Allen Dykstra. You can find him at joshallen.com, A-L-L-A-N.com. And uh, you want to make sure you get on board and look at what he's doing. Got a brand new book out, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, Designing an Organization That Doesn't Suck. And, you know, this has such tremendous impact, Josh. Even on the very, you know, I think we tend to look at these ideas from a big company perspective. You know, IBM and Apple and Microsoft and these guys, yeah, they can do all that. But we're, but we're talking about ideas that have significant impact on a three, four, five million dollar company. Companies with 20, 30, 40 employees can actually see multiples of impact with some of the ideas that we're talking about. Yeah, I think so. I think that's exactly right. Happens, works for, that's why I use the word organization and, and not business or company or anything. It's even, even I think nonprofits can, can apply these principles and see tremendous growth because of it. No doubt about it. I think many times business owners are a little short-sighted because they don't see the tangible return. We're not talking about buying a piece of equipment or building a new building or something. Mm. We're talking about you know, changing culture. And yet, if a change in culture, Josh, reduces the amount of turnover in a 100-employee business, if they've got 20% turnover, if they take mm. it down to 10%, Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, take it down to half of that, rather, yeah. uh, then they're saving rehiring 10 employees. What kind of impact does that have to the bottom line? Yeah, I think, I think that's tremendous. You know, I, I think well, even if you just think about uh, just the financially what it, what it costs, you know, to hire, hire somebody, let's say you're paying them 50 grand a year, um, then we've got, you know, we, we, 
multiply that by a factor of 10 or however many and whatever percentage you want to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, the loss, so there's all sorts of things, there's all sorts of invisible costs in there that we don't usually think about. So there's the, the cost to, to find somebody new. How long does that take you, you know, to find this new person? Uh, what kind of lost productivity do you have while that person is, while that position's unfilled? You know, what kinds of opportunities are you missing because there's nobody in your organization who's thinking about whatever that person was thinking about? Um, so losing good people, we know it's, it's incredibly costly. Um, and I, I do think now we, we are, as, as kind of a business society, we're starting to think more about those kinds of costs, which is, which is great. Yeah, and then that's where the HR function can actually play a fairly significant role because they have access to those metrics. You know, you know the, uh, the the challenge that I have seen, and I want to get your take on this, the challenge that I've seen is so many companies understand that their culture needs to change, and yet the very place where they can have the most dramatic impact is the new employee coming in, resetting that culture with a new employee. And yet, sure. so many companies, Josh, seem to fail dramatically in the hiring and onboarding process. How, how do you address that? I think, it, yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Kelly. I think the, um, the, the biggest problem in, in that kind of thing is that we, we treat onboarding as it's some sort of separate entity, when actually, kind of, kind of to what you were hinting at, the, what makes an onboarding successful is when we can bring someone in and help them understand what makes us different, what's, what makes our company unique and special, and, and how do we do things differently here that they might have done differently somewhere else. And so all of that, all of those questions have everything to do with culture. And the problem isn't that we don't have kind of the right process for onboarding. The problem, at least in my view, is that we really don't have a clear sense of what our culture is. Right. We, don't have, we don't have a clear sense of who we are. What is our unique identity? What unique problem are we trying to solve in the world? Many businesses that I talk to have forgotten those very core things. They've gotten lost somewhere along the way. And um, it, in order to, to actually create a, a culture that, that works, we've got to find a way to recapture some of those really, they sound like basic things, but they're, they're really not. Those things like purpose and meaning in this noble cause. What are you after that's larger than money? All, almost all businesses have those things. We've just let ourselves forget. And in your book, Igniting the Invisible Tribe, that's where you start. You say start with the why, and the why, of course, is why we exist, why, why we're in business, what we do. And yeah. that, of course, is part of the secret with Zappos because they had a very, yeah. very defined culture. Yep, yep, and a very clearly defined sense of what kinds of behaviors are acceptable here. You know, they've, they've been very vocal and, and very, pub, very public about publishing their core values, for example. And in, in Zappos' sense, these values are not values in the, the traditional kind of sense. They're not things like uh, integrity and excellence, although those things are kind of in there. Mm-hmm. Zappos' values, they're actually more like critical behaviors. They're more like uh, these are the actions that we will live by. And I think that's what makes values and uh, those kinds of principles successful. Because, um, you know, what, what company do you know of that doesn't want an excellence or integrity? At, at this point, that's just completely worthless uh, to, to have, really. Right. It's, it's really more from the, the words I use. is more like guiding principles. It's the yeah. things that drive the kind of behavior we'd like to have from our group. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And I think that's we, we see that in the organizations that do this successfully. So if, if you create these... Uh, let's call them guiding principles, Josh. If you create those, how do you how do you go about uh, I- inserting them into the culture and reinforcing them, if you will? What are, what are some of the things that leaders can do 
yeah. uh, to take those values and make them make sense for people. Yeah, yeah, and I think now now you're getting to the the harder part in a sense because now you're really talking about what uh, what leadership behaviors do we need to modify, what kinds of uh, leadership capacities do we need to deepen amongst the leaders in our group, and it turns out there's there's usually quite a lot of <laughs> those things that either need to be updated or uh, deepened, and uh, I, I I do think that's where it gets hard, uh, or at least trickier, because that's when it requires people to actually change uh, what they're doing and what they've been doing. I'd say one of the places where we often start, so we're my my firm is uh, is unapologetically biased towards positive psychology mm-hmm. and um, and strengths and helping people find what they're not only good at but also what energizes them. And so, how can we how can we help lead this? We find this is a huge driver. So, think, speaking of engagement, which we talked about earlier, you deconstructing that a little bit. How do you create more engagement? So, if engagement is something we all want, how do we get there? Turns out, if you focus on the strengths of your people inside your company, they're six times likelier to be engaged. So, we've got tremendous drivers like this. Let's let's just turn this one lever. Let's turn this one dial a little bit and help our leaders start to recognize the strengths of their people and start focusing on those things instead of their weaknesses and energy drainers. And and just even that one thing is a a tremendous place to start. Well, if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, Josh, and uh, we're joined by Josh Allen Dykstra, if I'm hearing you correctly, I mean, you're making a strong implication that really we can get the cart before the horse. It's really difficult to start working on culture unless we have leaders who are prepared and educated about exactly what that process looks like. Is that, is that a fair summary? Yeah, and it, it is a, it's a tricky thing from a s- sequence perspective, right? So what, what does come first, you know, chicken or egg? I'm not, I'm not really sure, and I think it varies from company to company where you start with an initiative like this. Um, Depends on what, what the, the leadership is ready to take on, you know, how, how ready are they to, to make some of these changes. Um, but yes, the, either way you go, both of these things happen. It's not an either or, kind of to your point. It's, it's both. Leadership has to be there and there needs to be this, this other, this sense of, of culture and purpose and meaning that also needs to be there. They, they, they both need to exist. Let, let's step back for a moment. You mentioned positive psychology, and uh, for for the sake of the audience, g- give me a sense of what that means. You say you're a very strong yeah. proponent. I suspect that uh, I probably am as well, but I'll let you define mm. it and get us on the same page. Sure. So most most uh, simply stated, the study of, of traditional psychology is the study of what's wrong with people. Right, so we've been looking at traditional psychology and what's wrong with people for a great number of decades, and we've got this lovely uh, nighttime reading book called the DSM-5, and you can go and look at all of the things that are wrong with human beings. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we've, been, we've, we've studied what's wrong with people for many years. Uh, just in the last couple decades, a, a couple of, of practitioners and, and thought leaders said, what if we actually were to study greatness? What if we were actually to, to study exceptionalism or what makes people flourish? Uh, what would happen then? And so that's kind of what the positive psychology movement is based in, is, is the study of what's right with people versus what's wrong with them. And, and that's got to run at least, uh, well, it, perhaps not parallel, but certainly is an offshoot somewhere of the Gallup work that's been done on strengths going all the way way back in, in terms of, I, I, what was the name of the book, that, the first book that I read on strength, Soar with Eagles or some, something, mm. Soaring with Your Strength. Soaring with or, Your Strength, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So uh, is, is it the uh, same sort of ideas as, as what is explained there? 
Yeah, I would I would say that um, it yeah, and it's it dep- probably depends on who you ask. You know what came from what. Uh, the way that I would probably think about it is, I think the the strengths movement is probably. It, it comes out of this larger school of thought of positive psychology. And so whether you, and there's a couple different things within positive psychology, one being the strengths movement, there's also something called appreciative inquiry, which I would consider part of positive psychology. But however you look at it, uh, yes, all of these things are definitely part of the same, same thing, and they're all trying to figure out how do we create more human flourishing. And it turns out you can't really do that by studying. You, you don't get success by studying failure. It just doesn't work. Interesting thought process. What What do you do, though, Josh? I mean, the the realists among us would say, "Well, that's that's all fine and dandy in the theoretical world." But yeah. I have employees that that do have weaknesses. They do have deficiencies. Yeah. How, how do I deal with that and still stay on this idea of actually capitalizing on strengths? Yeah, yeah. We and we do this a lot in our work, and we can we can definitely help people work through that in a much more detailed way. Uh, in, in short. The idea is to, so even something like this question of, of weakness, what do you do with it? The, the reality is that going after a weakness by focusing on the weakness just kind of tends to make people suck more. Uh, so think about something like details. So if, if I'm really bad at details, I'm not going to get better at details by focusing in on more details because it's just going to suck the life out of me even more. Right. Like I just, I can't, you, you can't fix bad by piling on more bad. It just, it's... It does not work. And so instead of doing that, what we teach people to do is to reframe their weaknesses through a position of strength. So first, there's, and there's, I make that sound very simple, but of course, you have to first know what your strengths are, what energizes you, what comes naturally to you. How do you, how do you know those parts of yourself? Most of us don't know why we do what we do. We don't know what energizes us. Uh, we don't know our unique strengths. Um, and therefore, we can't really make any better decisions because we don't know ourselves very deeply. And so a lot of what we do is helping, helping leaders deepen their capacity to uh, see themselves as they are. And we find that this is actually a huge trait uh, for successful leaders. More, the more successful leaders actually share this, this kind of deep knowledge of, of self. Um, yeah, so, so the, the, in short, though, the idea is how do, you, how do you use one of your strengths to make your weaknesses irrelevant? Which it turns out, Peter Drucker said like 60 years ago. So that <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, I, I think the important point you make there is that the the self aware leader of today, which again, all of the primary research supports the fact that they're far more effective in producing the things we care about, profit and productivity and so forth. But that self aware leader is, is someone who's willing to acknowledge that they do have weaknesses and not feel like that they're less of a leader because they do have weaknesses. And I think that's one of the yeah. uh, older folks like myself and, and uh, you know my dad's generation. It was almost anathema to admit that you mm. you had a weakness. You know what sure, I'm saying? Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that I think that is true, and that is a big part of this process is uh, uh, being okay that we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, and uh, it just depends on how effectively we deal with both of those things, actually, uh, which turns out to to make us successful or, or effective or not. Yeah, that's great stuff. Josh Allen Dykstra has been our guest. He is the author of Igniting the Invisible Tribe. Designing an organization that doesn't suck, and I suggest that you get it because this is not just philosophical claptrap, folks. This is the real deal, and culture really does have an impact on the bottom line of your organization, and Josh is a guy who understands that and has the capacity to take an organization uh, in, in a much more positive path. Josh, so much appreciate you being a part of this show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. 
Now, that's good stuff. We're going to take our last time out, and we're going to come back on the other side. We'll bring you the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin, brought to you by 4D Sales, and we're going to talk about mind mapping. You're going to want to stick around. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at bizlockerroom.com. By the way, make sure you take a trip over to iTunes. Subscribe to the Business Locker Room podcast. Love to have you as a regular subscriber. If you get an opportunity, tell us what you think about the show as well. That's always a good thing. We welcome in Miles Austin. He's the fill the funnel guy, the web tools guy. He's the guy that helps us make sense of all that technologies out there and his place in the show. His part of what we do is brought to you by our good friends at 4D Sales. What a fantastic tool. We've talked about it here on the show before, but it is a tablet-based sales tool that you can use with your iPad or your Windows 8 device. And if you're in sales and you're not using this product, you need to get on board. It allows you to present information in an interactive, very visually appealing way that's compelling to the prospect or customer that you're that you're talking with. I use 4D Sales. I know Miles does as well. And I've been in the business for a very long time, over 30 years of sales experience, and I can tell you it is easy, easy, easy to use. It makes your sales presentations go so much easier. It amplifies and accelerates your team's ability to sell more business, and it allows you to be consistent across a platform. If you're a sales manager, you want to make sure that your team has all of the material that they need. It's all current. It's all the latest iteration, and that doesn't matter if it's a price list or a brochure a PDF, a white paper, a slide deck, a web page, videos, it doesn't matter. Put them all together, make it very easy to present. Definitely worth your time. You can find them at 4dsales.com, and they make this segment, the X's and O's segment, possible. Miles, great to talk to you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'll tell you, I really love Josh. I, I love just thinking there. It's really refreshing. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I think having had these kinds of conversations on on occasion with with business owners, many times they're sort of concerned about the you know uh, kumbaya kind of side of that. But research is clear, Miles. I mean, you know, great better cultures create better performance. It's just that simple. Yep. No, absolutely. I just it just I, I found it really refreshing conversation. I really like his thinking. Hey, I'm looking at your website. Speaking of new thinking, looks like you've done some dramatically different things over at fillthefunnel.com. Give us the highlights. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, like all of us, and like I always encourage, uh, even during our show here together, Kelly, is that, I, you know, we need to be experimenting. We need to be learning, and we need to be listening, most importantly. And the thing I've realized over the years, remember, this I've been doing this now at Fill the Funnel for almost seven years, and um, one of the things that's been consistent, and sometimes you kind of drift away from, is what I realize is people want easy to navigate, fresh simple, clear ability to find what you're looking for. And I hope if they're going to fillthefunnel.com, they're looking for help on web tools, specifically for sales and marketing professionals. And I literally just had to rebuild it almost from scratch, very honestly, with all the existing content, but bring it to them in a way that's just much easier to find, to get to. Um, We're not done, but the blog is is really the core of what I do there. Um, And that, I think, is much easier and uh, much more enjoyable to read and listen to. Not only, by the way, we've talked about this on the show, not just on your desktop, but this experience on a smartphone is better than anything I've ever had before in spades. It's actually enjoyable to read those blog posts on your smartphone. Yeah, and, then, and and we know where the market's going in terms of mobile. So much more of the market is now mobile. Well, we want to talk about mind mapping. You did a whole series last week of blog posts on mind mapping, and I encourage people to jump on your website, fillthefunnel.com, and look at the posts that you have. But let's start very simply. What is it? What is mind mapping? Uh, <laughs> mind mapping for me um, is, is really simple. I believe, and I look at it, and I use mind mapping and the tools of mind mapping and the concepts of it as a way to visually outline my thoughts without the burden or the limitations of structure, right? Without the limitations of structure. And by that, I mean, you know, when I grew up, I was taught in school, you know, I learned outlining and all of that. And outlines are very helpful. But my ideas, and I don't know about you, Kelly, my ideas, my creative ideas, activity doesn't come in an outline form. Right. It's just boom, boom, boom. I liken it much more, and in my experience, um, to working on a whiteboard. You put me in front of a whiteboard and a marker, and I'm dangerous. The challenge is, once I get going there, now I've got to capture that somehow. Right. And I can take a picture of it, potentially, but that's about it. The ability to expand and move and flow with your ideas either individually or even more enjoyable in a collaborative team session is very powerful. And it really can create, in my mind anyway, and in my experience, a breakthrough moment on a topic that maybe you're stuck on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've always seen mind mapping from my perspective, Miles, is just sort of having a whole bunch of different buckets of ideas that maybe each bucket has sort of a common theme. So at least I can sort of, uh, you know, organize some ideas and then suddenly you start to see some pattern or some connection or you start to draw some lines from one bucket to another or move some of the thoughts out of this bucket over to that bucket. The, the, The ability to do that visually, I suspect you're like me, big visual guy. I need to see it. And Absolutely. I can see those connections. It makes a lot more sense to me. Well, it does. And I think, you know, I, I, uh, 
without being too graphic for our listeners, some of my most brilliant, exciting things, ideas that come to me are in the shower, right? Right, right. It's just because you're just thinking you're free form. As soon as you put me in front of a piece of paper or a ruled notepad or a yellow pad or something, I, for some reason, it just kind of constricts me down. I'm thinking, okay, I got to get it in the right order and in the right format. Mind maps take all that away and let you literally just blast your ideas out there on paper or on the screen. Um, and with the power now, because I, I learned early on about mind mapping in a handwritten way, just on a piece of paper, a napkin, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But with the power of the tools that are now out there for a desktop, a laptop, and for iPads and tablets and even phones, it just exploded the potential for this. And not only to say, let me get my ideas down, but now let me share them with others who can then interact and add to and modify and drag this concept. No, let's put it under this bucket. And it's just a tremendous conversation tool and a thinking tool if you're one of those people that has trouble by thinking outside the box sometimes because we're so used to the structure that we're taught through going through school in most cases. Yeah, and in, in, in many cases, the, the reality is, Miles, many times that thought process is actually constrictive when it comes to the creative side of things. I mean, I go back to uh, just the genesis of, of this radio show and this particular show. When you think about it, you put you just draw a big circle and write business locker room in the middle, and then you start drawing spokes off this circle. All of the various things that go into creating a show and all of the, the big picture things that need to be addressed, and then you've got to get down into more granular, granular level. A good example is we, we want to have very high quality guests, guys with compelling content, things that we can use and we can take and, and give to our listeners. Well, that that's just one aspect of the show. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're trying to accomplish. But how do we contact those guys? How do we promote those people? How do we get them on the show? What What's the actual logistics of putting them on board? There's a lot of different ways to go about that. The mind mapping process enables me to sort of catalog all of those ideas in a way that my brain works with. So it might be a little different for you, might be a little bit different for me, but at least now we've got some tools that will enable us to capture some of this creativity. Absolutely. Well, and I think, too, it's, you know, as I said, when I, when I first learned of and heard of mind mapping, my eyes kind of glazed over. I thought, oh, man, this, this is for the big thinkers. This is for Same. the really... Same. Right, it's yeah. like whoa. This is for the really smart dudes. I, <laughs> I, I really. But what happened for me was I was in one meeting back when I was with Dell, and I was leading the inside team for large corporate accounts. And I had one of my regional managers on the outside came in and said, "Hold on a minute," because he was getting confused on following some of our discussion about planning went to the whiteboard, drew like four circles and said, so this goes here, this goes here. And all of a sudden, I thought, wait a minute. I, it just, the light bulb went off. I said, now I get it. I literally remember, I got goosebumps because I thought, okay, now he's talking in a visual language that even I can understand and act upon. Wow, you know what? You just, you just hit upon a tremendous trademark uh, the 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 visual language of creativity. I I love that. That 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 makes sense to me. It's the visual language of when you're trying to be creative. I can see what I'm doing. Well, I, I wanted to. I want folks. Next week we're going to talk about some of the actual software packages and tools that people can use, and we'll we'll go through some of the real practical pieces and parts of that. But I want to get people moving over to your website. Fill the funnel. You had uh, either four or five. 
blog post last week in which you got into great detail about the mechanics of actually doing mind mapping, and we're going to talk about some of the software packages that will enable them to do that, but talk about what you've got going on on your website and some of the tools that you, I know you had some sort of offer that you made to your regular readers last week, so let's get that out there as well. Sure. The best thing to do, Kelly, there were five posts, one every day last week. They were on mind mapping, the foundation to breakthrough thinking, um, uh, reasons you might be hesitating to use mind mapping, um, ideas to help get you started, um, the power of outlines when you're using um, you know, a mind mapping tool, and then some of the results you can achieve. And those are all on the website. You can go look at those today. Um, like you, I do a lot of things. I give some special incentives to the people that are subscribed to that newsletter. You can do it on top, on the bottom, on the side. It's all over the place. But our readers this weekend, as I promised there, they got a compilation of all of those five blog posts that anyone can go register today and still get it. They also got a free 30-page guide called the Jumpstart Guide to Free Mind, which is a free mind mapping program that I talked about in the blog post. And it's one of the tools we'll talk about next week. In addition, um, I'll send them. If they if they subscribe, they're also going to get a discount. Um, there's a, a guy that taught me all I know about free mind and the whole mind mapping concept. Hey, let me jump um, in and cut you off, Miles. I apologize. Clock got away from me. We got to get out of here. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. But we're going to come back next week. We'll give it to you. Go find Miles at fillthefunnel.com. This is the Business Locker Room Show. We'll see you next week with a great guest and more from the X's and O's segment. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Play to win.